I've got a question. Where are you? I think maybe that prayer has gone up a few times this week. Why do bad things happen to good people? A lot of answers that we could give. None, I think, are truly complete. Nor do I intend to necessarily have you leave here with some formula as to why or how or or, or anything like that. But this is real stuff, folks. And obviously what we've been through this week and what we've seen some of our friends have been through, um, what many of us experienced a couple years ago, 9-11, it's a question and it's a issue that can't be neglected and can't be answered with some formulaic thing. Well, God, God, and uh, and we got to deal with it. Well, we got we got we need to go to the scripture to see what we can find, to see what we can learn, and hopefully will bring us some understanding in some way. You know, it's interesting, and you, you don't think about these things. Last Sunday, after after well, in the afternoon, I I left for a for what would be a backpacking trip. I've done a lot of day hiking. We live in Colorado. I've never done a backpacking trip. And, uh, and it's just great fun. I mean, you just, you just great fun. You, you have the opportunity to carry a 150 or 200 pound pack up a mountain for three miles and, and sleep in a lean to and, and have it rain all day on you and, and, and try to go to the bathroom in some little stinky little thing and drink water out of a pond with pills that are going to purify it that makes it taste refreshing. And, um, it's just a great time all together. It's just really fun. And it's something I certainly look forward to doing again someday. <laughs> Not. But um, the weird thing about that is we came out of the wilderness in Maine um, Wednesday afternoon. And we didn't know any of this. We didn't know, any, you know, obviously there's no power. There's nothing going, you, know, you don't know what's going on. And, um, and that's kind of a weird feeling when you think about that. And so we noticed a couple headlines on uh, some little town in Maine that had some local paper. Uh, and uh, and then and then finally fe- began to hear some things in the radio, and then I left early Thursday morning from Maine and heard was listening to different coverage on the radio and so forth. And of course, it didn't take long. I was driving around Boston, um, going around, coming back home, and I thought, you know, boy, this is pretty heavy stuff. I thought I'd take a break and listen to some Boston radio talk show, and uh, you know, always like hearing what the worst sports fan in America is talk about. But but. Um, I'm joking about that for you Boston fans. But but I started listening to this, and all, already, this is like uh, Thursday morning, already the blame was started. And you really, I was just sort of punching around. It's all George W. Bush's fault. It's all his fault. No, no, it's all the Republicans' fault. No, it's all the Democrats' fault. And just all this stuff. Of course, in Boston, it's mostly the Republicans' fault, as you can imagine. But um, I thought, boy, it's already started. So when I got home, it inspired me when I got home to surf the web and find out, well, who, who's blaming who? You know, who, who, who's going to... So I found, I went some blogs and some, wind, some, uh, some surfing around, found some blogs and some different things, and I thought I'd share a few of these with you of who, the blame game for the hurricane, okay? Um, for instance, you know, Wednesday in the worldnetdaily.com, the headline announced, Hurricane hits just before homosexual event. Christian activist, act of God, prevented southern decadence. The article went on to report, Hurricane Katrina walloped New Orleans just two days before the annual homosexual southern decadence festival was to begin in the town, an act being characterized by some as God's work. 
Southern decadence has a history of filling the French Quarter section of the city with drunken homosexuals engaging in sex acts in public streets and bars, says a statement from the Philadelphia Christian organization Repent America. And they were basically blaming gay people, or at least that particular group of gay people, for what was happening in New Orleans. By the way, you can't do that. I don't care who the people are. By the way, I've been to New Orleans many times. Our son used to live there. And I've been on Bourbon Street more times. And the best time to go to Bourbon Street is to jog at 7 o'clock in the morning. It's a great time. You can see it. You don't have to deal with a whole bunch of other stuff. But whether you're talking gay or whether you're talking straight, there's a lot of stuff that takes place in the French Quarter that none of us really need to, uh, to see or, 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 or whatever. But if you start blaming that, then what do you do with some of those countries where they have it legal that they have all kinds of sexuality, sex acts with children and things like that in some countries in the Far East? How come they haven't been wiped away, some of them? I mean, the the logic behind that just is not there. So you can't do that. So anyway, I keep reading. I'm looking for more things to blame. Thursday, theworldtribune.com. How about this one? The headline quoted a Kuwaiti government official as claiming the terrorist Katrina is a soldier of Allah. Muhammad Yusuf Ali Malif, director of the Kuwaiti Ministry of Endowment, said, I opened the Koran and began to read the Surat Arad, the thunder chapter, and stopped at these words of Allah. The disaster will keep striking the unbelievers for what they have done. So I got other people, the Muslims are, are, are they're not blaming, they're saying it's, a, it's an act of Allah to get even with us who are unbelievers, and which is basically all of the United States in their, in their minds. So we got those, that's another blame thing going on. And then one blog that I really liked, and I'm going to read his words. I, however, tend to believe the blame for this tragedy lies not with God, but with a French explorer, René Robet Chevier, for founding a city below sea level, surrounded by a lake, a river, and an ocean. What was he thinking? <laughs> there's, there's an explanation I can probably get my teeth into a little bit. Because when you think about that, wow, that is, I mean, and that's the truth. It is, it is a city, much of it below sea level. and it, it, There is a huge lake, Pontchartrain, as you know now, and a river, Mississippi, and the ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, surrounding it. Of course, you don't have to read very far to read the favorite person to blame for these things. You have it at home in your insurance policy, don't you? An act of God. And interesting what they call acts of God. And of course, so many are saying this hurricane was an act of God. This disaster was an act of God. So what do we do with that? Those of us who have a a love and a desire to serve our God, our Creator. Those of us who are followers of Christ, what do we do with that? How do you handle that? Was it an act of God? You know, I got that question going on. What I want to do this morning, and again, I'm going to give you three things here. They are not by any stretch of the imagination, any kind of a, a formula or an answer. But I, I hope it gives you some insights and some understandings as to, as to what all of this is about. And, and it, 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 I, hope it, I, just, I think it can help in light of who God is and what God wants to do. And, you know, and here's the thing. When, when you prepare any particular talk like I do and, and like I give, you prepare it for a certain audience. Obviously, with, I know my audience here usually. But one of the great things about Renaissance is we have visitors almost, if not, every Sunday. And this morning, 
we had in the in the 9:30 service. Um, we had a family that was that had that had fled from from Slidell, Louisiana, which is uh, not, was in the path of the hurricane, lost their home, lost everything, and they were here staying with um, some some relatives. And when you're in my position, and, you, and you're sitting there, and you're talking about this stuff, and you have them sitting down here, and and you, and you see real tears and real grief, um, you, you begin to understand this is real stuff. Most of us don't have to think back very far to remember that, to 9-11. It's real stuff. It's not just philosophy or theology or theoretical. It affects how I live. And we need to think about it. And we need to think as best we can from a what I would call a, a, a God worldview or a biblical worldview. So I'm going to take you some places, and and, uh, and i got a lot of Scripture, more than probably normal, particularly one passage, one long passage, but I think it's important that you see that. So why do, <clears throat> excuse me, why do bad things happen to good people? Number one, because we live in a very broken world. And I want to spend probably most of my time, or not probably, I'm spending most of my time on this this morning, because we live in a very broken world. Let me show you what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. The world that we live in is full of death and decay. Why is that? How did it get that way? Why did God do that? Well, the news is, I don't think God did that. I think I did that. And you helped me. I think we all did that. It's called, there's lots of names for it theologically, and if you get into theology and so forth, but it's called original sin, or, or fallenness, or however you want to phrase that. Um, and I, I'm not going to get too hung up on the words, but I want to take you back to really where what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, this how creation anticipates the day it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And I want to take you back to really where it all started, to Genesis chapter 3. Now, classically, those who are people of faith and who believe the Bible take Genesis chapter 3 literally. Whether or not you take it literally or in a metaphor way or symbolically, the one thing you have to take away from Genesis chapter 3 is it gives us some idea of what original sin, and we're going to call it that for now, comes from. When I say sin, I don't mean sins like different sins, plural. I'm talking about this fallen condition that I'm a part of and that you are a part of. So I want you to watch this, and we're going to, we're going to go through this. It's from the, the New Living Translation. And uh, we're going to watch, just, just follow along with me. We're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up really with verse, uh, well, verse 1. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God made. Really, he asked the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat any, any, eat any of the fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. Watch this. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. Isn't it interesting that the appeal in original fallenness or sin, the appeal was to what? Pride. 
Isn't it interesting that we all, all of us, still deal with that? Pride. And at the root of most all of our, if you want to call them sinful activities or our fallenness or our wrong actions, at the root of all of it usually is some form of pride. Um, and that's, that's, you know, some people say that was the original sin. That's where they get that from. So, the woman was convinced. The fruit looked so fresh and delicious, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, Where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? Watch this. Here's original weenie Right here, right here. Original weenie Yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit and I ate it. There you go. Started way back there, guys. All you who are original cowards, there's where it is, all right? Um... No, I don't, I don't mean to be... It was the beginning, really, of blaming. I mean, she does it, too. We all, we've all done it, so let's don't, be, let's don't be too abrasive here. The Lord God asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? And she says, the serpent tricked me. So he blames the woman, she blames the serpent. Seeing a pattern here? You ever been in sessions of counseling, maybe, or maybe a discussion with, with a mate or a or, or friend or... Or, or, or someone like that, and it's like, well, yeah, but, but he did. Or no, she did. No, they did. And the blaming starts. Start way back here. Isn't that interesting? How that's one pattern that just, I mean, it, it can be overcome, but it takes the power of God to overcome that thing. Because it's so, it's so natural to want to blame somebody else. So, anyway, yes, Adam admitted that it was the woman you gave me. The Lord God asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? And the serpent tricked me. She replied, that's why I ate it. Okay, so here's the consequences of this original sin. First, first thing, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you will be punished. You'll be singled out from all the domestic and wild animals of the whole earth to be cursed. You will grovel in the dust as long as you live crawling along on your belly. Many people believe that the snake didn't, or for lack of a better term, was not a snake until here, that he had four legs and he walked around and might have been like a little house pet or something like that. Many people believe that because of what, what's said here. I know it's kind of a weird deal, but he said, you're going you're gonna to be punished for this to the serpent. All right, now watch this. From now on, you and the woman will be enemies and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is Genesis 3.15. I don't have the numbers on there for you, but this is verse 15. This is, let me do a little, let me do a little, Theological parenthesis here, just for a moment, okay? This is what we call the proto-evangelium. I know you say, oh, you're showing off your education. No, no, I'm not. Um, Proto-evangelium, proto-first evangelium, first mention of Christ is in Genesis 3.15. And what he's saying is that your offspring and her her offspring being Jesus will be enemies. He will crush your head. You will strike his head. You'll crucify him. He will crush your head. He will... He will make you weak. He will make you inoperative by going to the cross for people is what we many of us believe is being said here. 
called the Proto-Evangelium. So that's enough of the, of the theology. But that's, uh, it's interesting to me that way back in Genesis 3, we have the first prophecy, the first prophecy, if you will, of Jesus coming. So Jesus is really in all the, in all the Bible, even, uh, even in the uh, Old Testament and even in Genesis. Okay, I'll keep reading. Then he said to the woman, here you go, ladies, you will bear children with intense pain and suffering. You say, what? Yeah. You, those of you who are pregnant or who have been pregnant or who will be pregnant or who have had children... To, to, not, to risk sounding a little cavalier here, you don't just go in and pop them out, okay? Um, I've learned, we've had two, and I was, the first one was born before you, I know this is going to sound ancient to some of you, but it was before you husbands would go into the delivery room. Our second one was born after they did that, so I was present for the, the first one I was watching the NFL draft, the second one I was right there with Charlene. So what does that tell you? Okay? Uh, hey, you know, what are you going to do? You're sitting out there in the waiting room. But... um. And I remember, I remember, I don't know if it was the first one or the second one, I, I told Charlene, because me being the budding theology student that I was, I said, you know, you wouldn't have any pain right now if we all hadn't sinned way back in Genesis chapter 3. And she says, you know, I really don't need to hear that right now. Um, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't the right thing to say, okay? But that's the deal. I mean, isn't it amazing? Had there not been original sin, you could just you know, have babies pop them out, no big deal. Oh, Excuse me, I've got to go to the restroom and have my baby. Okay, good. Come on out. Uh, anyway, sorry, I don't need to go too far with that. Um, here's the thing about this. And it goes on. I'm not going to... He says, and, and though your desire will be for your husband, he will be your master. Be careful with that. There's some other translations that, that take that a little differently. And it's not our purpose to try to exegete that this morning. But um, don't get too hung up on that, guys. And don't take that too literally that you're to be the master over your wife. Okay, don't, don't go there with that. It's a... It's a totally different thing, which we'll spend some time on, take some time another time. So he says to the woman, you're going to bear children with intense pain. That's part of, that's part of the deal. That's part of, 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 of sin being in the world. Okay. Now, let's look what he says to Adam. And here's what I want you to see. Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit I told you not to eat, I have placed a curse on the ground. I have placed a curse on the ground. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about way back here in Genesis, or way up here in Genesis, or excuse me, in Romans chapter 8. That the, the earth has got a curse on it from this original sin. Now, he says, and all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. All your life you will sweat to produce fruit until your dying day. Then you will return to the ground from which you came, from, uh, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So what he's saying is, you're going to have to work now. You haven't had to work for a living before. You're going to have to work. It's an agrarian society at this point. It's agriculture. He says, you're going to have to plow the field. You're going to have to hoe thistles. I, Whatever they did back then, I'm kind of. I was raised in the farmlands of Ohio, and I know what it's like to spend days upon days chopping thistles, and being told by my mom and dad that if we hadn't sinned way back when, we wouldn't have thistles. I hated thistles because it was just hour after hour of chopping thistles in our pasture fields and in our fields and so forth. Um, so you say, well, what is that? How does that apply today? Well, okay, you say I'm not a farmer. No, but if it weren't for farmers somewhere, you wouldn't be able to eat. So whether you're farming the food or whether you're doing something else in commerce, i.e. here, in order to buy the food, you're not going to eat. 
I know we have welfare programs and so forth, and, and as we should for those who are down and out and who need some help. But all of it is, is, is and should be for the purpose of getting people where they can do what again? Work for a living. The Bible is very capitalistic in that way, in that sense, in the sense that, that you work for a living. You work for, for food. And that's the deal here. And so, so when you understand that, that's what's happened. Why? Because the earth was cursed. There would be no weeds. It's hard work that God says is the result of original sin. So here's the issue that I want you to see that you can't miss. How do we have a hurricane that wipes out the whole city? How do we have a tsunami? How do we have earthquakes? How do we have tornadoes? Because we live on an earth that has been cursed because of me and because of you. An original sin. That's how. Does God do that? No. God doesn't do that. Now, you say, does God allow that? Well, we've got to be careful with semantics here. You know, certainly you could make an argument that in somehow in God's plan and God's in God's design and in God's allowances, certain things happen that aren't pleasant. But we also know from the Bible that those bad things, God doesn't desire anybody to perish. But because of the, of the things that he has instituted on this earth and then allowing us in our will, in our will to just totally violate that and screw it up and, and, and how, just be fallen people and choose fallenness over what God's best for us, as we did, whether you want to call it federal headship or some other kind of headship, we were there with Adam. Whatever, whatever that is, we were there in some way, shape, or form, and that's what we have. That's the earth that we live in. So, are they acts of God? No. They're acts of fallen mankind way back when. Listen. That's why we have fallen people who hurt each other. That's why we have dads who walk away from families. Moms who sometimes do the same thing. People who abuse each other. People who hurt each other. It might be physically, it might be emotionally. That's why we have that, because of fallenness. I don't like it. I've been a part of it. I've been a part of hurting people. Why? Because I'm a fallen person. I've, I've hurt people. Never really intended to. Maybe sometimes I did intend to. But, you know, that's part of the thing of being fallen. That's why. <laughs> that's why. I have a friend. I'll give you the. I'll give you the, That's why in just a moment. I have a friend, and and we were talking one day, and it's, it's several years ago, and he'd been just been through a tough time, and it had been all self-imposed, and and he had, which is the next part of this little talk, and I'm going to tell you, he 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 had had an affair, and uh, for a long period of time, and he's trying to get back together with his wife, and just had realized how what what a screw up he was, and how he messed it all up, and we were sitting there talking, and we were just just. I was just trying to just trying to help because he recognized what he had done and he was trying to seek to, to restore things and to get right and so forth and so on and and I was talking about forgiveness. He was having a hard time forgiving himself. And uh, and, and where I was talking about forgiveness and then he said this to me. He said, Oh, it's kinda of like one of those the the light came, comes comes on, you know. He he says, Oh that's why Jesus came, isn't it? I said, That's exactly right. That's why Jesus came. For dogs like me and you. For people like me and you. 
See, that's, and that's the issue here. So why do bad things happen to good people? Because we live in a fallen world where fallen people do fallen things. And sometimes you see someone who's taken that to an extreme. It might be a Hitler. It might be a Bin Laden. It might be a Timothy McVeigh who've taken that to an extreme. Are they worse than us? Well, their actions are, certainly. But at the same time, on a much smaller level, we've hurt people. We've betrayed people. We've murdered people, maybe not literally, but in our hearts and in our minds by hate and by other things. We've done that. You know, and that's the issue here. So, why do bad things happen to good people? Because we live in a broken world. It's broken. With broken people. Of whom I am one. That's part of the answer. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. When you're talking to somebody who's lost a loved one, who's lost their home, or, or whatever, you can't be cavalier about this. There also needs to be some love and some kindness and some grace and, and, and helping them think through it. And I was talking to our friends, our new friends here this morning that were from Louisiana, and, and they were just, you know, in tears thinking about it. Friends that they have lost and a home that they've lost and having their kids, you know, this part's the minor compared to the other stuff. Having their kids are going to have to stay here for the school year and so forth. Be careful what you do with this. You don't just, in a cavalier way, hey, God, you got, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Because that can be very hurtful too. But bad things happen to good people because of the world in which we live. It's broken. And we were all a part of it. And in some cases, continue to be a part of it. I want to leave the, I want to leave the hurricane for a moment. I just got a couple minutes. I don't even have that long. And I want to just hit these last two things very quickly because it's very important. And that is this. Another reason that bad things happen to good people is because sometimes good people do stupid things. Sometimes good people do stupid things. And I've already touched on this as I was talking about my friend. But look what Galatians says. Don't be misled. Remember, you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. You'll reap what you sow. And sometimes good people do stupid things and they sow rotten seed and it comes back and because of some thing that they had done or this action they'd done or these words that they had said or this action they'd been a part of at a weak moment whether it be whether it be in a moral choice or a wrong choice or whether it be in, in in their career whether it be in a stock issue that we see so much going on today with stocks and and CEOs and CFOs of companies and so forth sometimes good people do stupid things and that's another reason that good people sometimes suffer Tell the people, granted, it's on a different scale than I realize that, but tell the people who've lost all, all their retirement with Enron or all their, all their savings with WorldCom. Tell those folks that they deserved that. They didn't deserve that. It was, the, it was just the stupidity and, and, and the wrongness of one or two or three or four people. How do we respond to that, by the way? Well, that's when we thank God for forgiveness. We thank God for forgiveness. We thank God for compassion. We thank God for, for redemptive thinking, and that which we all need. Third thing I want you to see is why do bad things happen to good people? Because the world we live in is broken, because good people do stupid things, but also because often God's got something else going on. I've got to wrap it up here, but let me just show you this. So many times in life, the thing that seems to be our biggest total failure ends up being our greatest source of fulfillment. Oftentimes that's the case. And, and, and that's the way God works. 
God's ways are higher than our ways. Let me show you just a couple of verses. I've got a lot, but I'm just going to cut this short. Look what uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, I'm just going to read a few. We'll show it to you in the PowerPoint. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in all his glorious power. He will rule with awesome strength. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens for, with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed all the mountains and the hills? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to be his teacher or counselor? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good or what is best? No. For all the nations of the world are nothing in comparison with him. They are but a drop in the bucket, dust on the scales. He picks up the islands as though they had no weight at all. Here's the, here's the issue, folks. Well, let me, before I give you the issue, let me get, read one more. Chapter, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Sometimes, please hear this, we don't understand and we're never going to understand. That's why it's called faith. It's easy to trust God in the things that I understand. Sometimes it's very, very difficult to trust God in the things. I, it, I, I'm asking questions, God, and I'm not getting any answers. God's big enough for your questions. Don't think you're on an equal par to be able to understand His answers. Because you may not. And maybe you will later on in life. And maybe you'll never understand in this life. That's why it's called faith. Let me show you one last verse. I go to this verse. I don't have to go to it because I have it memorized. About so many different areas of life. People betray you. Katrina happens. You have a 9-11. So many different areas of life that I look at. The Timothy McVeigh thing, we were in Colorado at the time, and it was so close to some of us there uh, in, in Oklahoma City. And I have gone to this verse so many times. I mean, it's one of my life verses. And I hope it will help you. Let's show it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are secret things that belong to the Lord, but revealed things belong to us and to our descendants forever, so that we may obey these words of the law. And the verse tells me, Rich, there's a lot you don't understand. There's a lot you're never going to understand. You just live on what you know, and you'll be fine. You just live what you know and what you do understand, and you're going to be fine. Doesn't trivialize my questions. Doesn't give me answers to some of those hard questions. But it helps me to understand there's a God in heaven. He loves me, and he's asking me to trust him. I can trust a lot of people if I know what they're doing. I can't trust very many people if I don't know what they're doing. And ultimately, I can really only trust one. And then sometimes I have problems when I really don't understand, and that's God. And that's God. That's why it's called a life of faith. doesn't mean all of our questions will get answered. Let's pray together. It's important to see this. God, these are, these are huge issues. Whether it be this hurricane, God, or, or other things that have happened in these last 
these last few years in our lives, so many of us affected by different catastrophic events and tragedies and disasters. God, I pray that you would give us the ability to trust you, to have faith in you, especially when we don't understand. Especially when we don't understand. Help us, Lord, with that. We're thankful that Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and went to the tomb and rose again so that we could have a relationship with you, God. Not so that we could have all the answers, because we don't, but so that we could have a relationship with you and a life that is based on faith in you and in your love and in your grace and in your compassion. And we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.